The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're here in person or online, we want to welcome you this morning. Here at The Springs, we are a church that is being transformed in the image of Christ so that anybody can find their, anybody can find their way back to God. And we do that three ways. We gather in the name of in the, the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, like we do here this morning. We also intend to grow into his image. And we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this Sunday morning, we want to begin a sermon series called Good News sharing the gospel of Christ, where we want to talk about, Brett and I want to share with you some practices of this, uh, some, some very practical things about the practice of Christian evangelism. So let's get started this morning. Our text this morning is in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And it simply says this, at the end of Romans 12, 13, it says this, practice hospitality. If you look at a lot of those virtue statements of Paul, this comes up quite a bit. We don't talk about it that much. We talk about the other statements or the other virtue statements that he talks about. But hospitality is not something that we talk about very much. We do have, in our own minds, a hospitality type of culture. So if you've ever been to a hotel and you check in, Right? What's one of the things they say? Welcome. And then at the end of your check-in, they say, I hope you enjoy your stay. Right? Or at the end, when you check out, hey, how was everything okay? How was it? It was great. It was fine. I'm glad you enjoyed your stay. So one of the things that hospitality in our culture is, it's, it's one to, it's hospitality, we think about it in terms of enjoyment or entertainment right? There's another part of hospitality that in our culture, like if you go and have a, have a, have a, have a meal and they're going to say, did you enjoy your meal? Right? Or there's another part where you, you're offered something. So hospitality is this form of kind of marketing or offering you something. All of those things are acts of hospitality. To welcome others, that they enjoy themselves, to offer them something to drink, to offer them something that will give them comfort in life, to offer them something that will give some relief. All of those things are practices of hospitality. But they don't get to the deep sense of what the Bible is talking about. It says practice hospitality. Henry Nouwen talks about this. He's a Christian writer and thinker. And Henry Nouwen says this. He says, hospitality is not sappy or superficial, but adopts the ancient meaning as the offer of a space where change can take place. It's the offer of a space where change can take place. Now, for the Christian meaning of that, we get that on, in a sense, if you think about where we get our word hospital from, 
You can hear hospitality in hospitals. Why do you go to the hospital? Because you're sick, maybe you have a bacterial infection, and you want to get cured. You expect something to change when you go to a hospital. But that word hospitality that's used in Romans and throughout Scripture is this word philiozenia. Philiozenia. Which literally is this taking of two words, philio, which is like a family love or like a kindred love, a love that you would have for a friend, and this word xeno, which is strangers. So when we say hospitality, we're not just talking about offering goods and services to people. When the Bible says practice hospitality, here's what it means. Practice loving strangers. Christian hospitality is to form, that we get formed in a way by God and His Spirit in the community to love people who are strangers to us. So, like Hebrews 13 verse 2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And the Hebrews writer is envisioning what's happening in Genesis 18 where Abraham encounters these three strangers and they are complete strangers that come upon him and he stops what he's doing and he reorganizes his whole day and his life and he offers them food and shows them enormous hospitality. And what we come to find out in the story is that these three, three strangers aren't just any strangers. Then the story that Abraham and Sarah, that in the visitation of these strangers, they're actually visited by God. And the transformation that takes place is not necessarily from Abraham to the strangers. The strangers aren't transformed. But it's actually the strangers, God, that says, you're going to be with the child. And Abraham and Sarah's life are transformed. They actually create space where change is possible. Romans 15 verse 7 says this. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. In other words, this idea of Christian hospitality is that Jesus has provided, God has provided space for change to happen. He does this by welcoming us into his community, into his life, into his presence. And by creating that space, transformation has happened in your life. And so Paul says, because Christ has welcomed you, you are to welcome one another. You are to create spaces where change can happen. Hospitality, biblical hospitality, is the offer of space where change can take place. So when you welcome someone into your home and prepare a meal, you're loving strangers and you're offering a space where change can take place. When we have the welcome table that happens over here, we provide a big meal. And we do this practice simply just to be hospitable. 
Not in the sense of our, the cultural idea of hospitality, where people are just entertained, or there's a good and service, goods and services offered, although that's fine as well. There's no problem with that. But the act of the welcome table is this, that we invite other people in to a space where change might take place. If you invite someone into the intimacy of your small group, you're inviting them into a space where change might take place. And if Sunday morning is trans transformed from just a time of worship to a service of hospitality where our eyes and our ears and our hearts are turned and attentive to the stranger because we love them. This too can become a space where change can take place. Hospitality is the offer of a space where change can take place. And for us, when we start talking about changes taking place, we have a word for that. It's conversion. And Gustavo Gutierrez says this. He's a Peruvian Christian. He says to enter into the life of the other is to begin the process of conversion. And first and foremost, he's talking about God, to enter God, but then to enter into the life of someone else who will change you. And down deep, we've experienced that and we know that, not only with God, but with each other. There are, according to sociologists, three categories of conversion. When they're talking about like a sociology of religion and they study religion and how it works, when they think about conversion, there are three categories of conversion. The first one is a very familiar category to us. It's belief. Belief is the category that we know down deep is more than just agreeing to something. We know biblical faith or belief involves more than just believing something. It involves living a life that is reflective of that belief. But to be fair, how that word is used and how we think about it often, that most basic belief is mostly limited to the notion of giving mental or verbal assent to some kind of proposition or idea or confessing this is true. Right? So we would say Jesus is Lord. It's a confession of belief. But the second category of conversion is the idea of, or the, the category of behavior. So conversion not only works in terms of what we believe, the different things, we change from one belief to the other, but it's also, they say, conversion is also the change of our behavior or the change of behavior. So it includes this. It includes some moral Ethical behaviors. It includes things like we would change and we begin to worship. Maybe we'd begin to pray. Maybe we begin to serve and give. Maybe fellowship. Those are all just kind of basic behaviors that we associate with converting to Christianity. And there are many others, but for sure we think about belief and we think about behaviors. But then the third category is this. It's the category of belonging. 
Sociologists of religion say that conversion not only happens in beliefs, not only happens in behaviors, but it's a conversion in the communities that you're a part of. You change communities. Maybe you don't fully change communities, but you become part of something else. So we would say this is becoming part of a church. And even more, we would say this is getting plugged in. Now, most of us, when we think of the normal process of conversion, if we think about it at all, it's probably just the way we just think. And if I was to ask you this question, which direction does it go? Where does it start with? It probably goes in that exact order. That conversion or the idea about evangelism is that first, we've got to get people to believe. That's the point of evangelism. And then once they believe, they'll start practicing certain things. And then maybe, and unfortunately, we said, well, and if they belong to a, a church or a community, maybe that, that could be a part of it as well. I mean, all three of those things probably fit into our categories. And you maybe disagree with me. You say, no, I think that being a part of church is really important. I do too. But in general, most people, when they're thinking about, when I talk to college students, most of them are thinking, yeah, you evangelize to change their beliefs. Then we'll get their behaviors to change. And then, yeah, if they're committed to a community, that's great. That's just like a bonus. But you know what sociologists have found to be true? Is that most conversion experiences by people that convert to Christianity, it actually flips. We think of it like this. The next slide. We... Go back one more. We think of it like this. Belief, behave, and belong. But sociologists says it actually flips, and it's this way. That first, most people's experiences is that they convert their community. They're actually converted first into a community of faith. And what that means is, is that they begin hanging out with a Christian group. They start maybe going to church or attending a small group or having meals together. And then slowly over time, because they're hanging out with people that are Christians, they start practicing things. You do things with your friends. You do similar things with your friends. And then eventually, they go, I think I believe this stuff. If you don't believe me, let's look at the Gospels. Look at how the disciples' lives happen in the Gospels. Think about it. They're called by Jesus. They're invited into his community. They spend three years practicing all kinds of things that are in the kingdom. And it's really only until the end of the gospel they go, oh, I think I really believe this stuff. Let's take a short trip to the gospel of Mark. I'll show you how it works. So in Mark... Chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. It says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his two brothers, John, uh, and his brother John in a boat, preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man, and they followed. Right from the beginning, in the Gospel of Mark, and in other Gospels, Jesus calls 
people into community. He invites them to come in. Hey, come on. Come follow me. Let's go do these things together. He invites them to come. What's striking about this is that they probably don't know much about who this Jesus is. Or, and it's clear, we're going to find out that they don't know what he's about or who he really is. But they call, Jesus calls them and invites them into community. And they join in his community. And then in Mark chapter 8, verse 6 through 8. What's interesting, you have several stories in the Gospels like this. But this is the story where he says, He told the crowd, Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks and broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven bas basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So they're called into community and they begin practicing kingdom things. Should be no surprise to you. Jesus says, hey, help me with this. And they begin serving people. They prayed with Jesus at times. They even go out and proclaim him at times. And it's very clear in the Gospel of Mark, they don't know who he is exactly. They cast out demons in his name. They practice all kinds of kingdom things because they belong to Jesus' community. And when you belong to that community, you practice things in the communities you belong to. And then we can go on in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 27 to 33. This is an interesting story. Because it says, Jesus' disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others said Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Which is the same word in Greek that we use. You are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. And then he began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and then be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And what we get is this picture that while Peter has all the right language... Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king. But he has all the wrong understanding. In other words, that word Messiah is the Hebrew word. The word Christ is the Greek word. And by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. And Messiah or Christ means the anointed one or the king. So Peter turns and he says, I know exactly who you are. You're the king. And when Jesus begins to tell him what he's going to do and what the kingdom of God looks like and what his kingdom looks like, Peter pulls him aside. It's like, that's not what kings do. You're crazy. Clearly, Peter has all the right words. But he doesn't have the right understanding. Anybody ever had the right words but the wrong understanding? This is a natural human development. That we learn because they belong to a community. They begin practicing certain things. And along the way, they begin figuring it out. 
So by the time you get to the end of Mark, in chapter 15, verse 39, it says this. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And if you remember from our Mark series, in the Gospel of Mark, the only human being to identify Jesus as the Son of God is this centurion at the end of the Gospel. It takes the entire Gospel to get to that confession of belief, and it's the confession that we pronounce, that we confess at baptism. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. That's what we confess at baptism. The only person that confesses Jesus as the Son of God is this centurion. And it's after three years of ministry, three years of people walking with Jesus, that finally someone goes, oh, I believe. Matthew says it this way. Does it a little bit different at the end. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. They were called into community. And they walked with Jesus in the community for three years. Praying with him, serving with him, teaching with him, driving out demons with him, hosting people with him, practicing all the things that we practice as Christians. They practice those things. And it is not until the end, after three years, that they believe and worship, but in. Even some of them, after three years, still doubted. Belong, behave, and believe. If you're not convinced by the gospel story, let me ask you this question. Raise your hand in this room if you consider yourself a Christian. Raise your hand. Raise your hand in this room if you grew up in the church. If you don't believe that most of it works, from, it works in this church, you belong, then you behave and you believe, that's how all of you were converted. Every one of you that raised your hand and said you're a Christian, every one of you that said you grew up in the church, you belonged to a community of faith way before you started believing. If you grew up in the church and you belonged to a community of faith, you practiced all kinds of things before you believed. I know it. Because I did the same thing. I prayed. I sang. I served. Hey, I sang about God's amazing grace before I ever understood or really believed in God's amazing grace. And you know why I believe in God's amazing grace? Because the community took me in and invited me to come practice certain things with them. And one day when I was 15 years old, I went, I think I believe this. And most of you, that is exactly your conversion experience. Now I'm not saying conversion can't happen by just proclaiming the gospel to somebody and they turn and they believe right away. But I'm saying most people, that is their experience. And then it says on in Matthew 28, 
It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even until the end of the age. He's saying this, go, go into all the world and practice hospitality. Welcome others. This is how you begin to make disciples. It begins by offering a space where change can take place. Evangelism begins with hospitality. And hospitality is the offer of a space where change can take place. When I was in the youth group here at the Springs, at this church, I had a friend that met, his name was Tony. Tony didn't go to church anywhere, but we just, me and some of my friends, we just loved Tony. He was just a great guy. We met him at school, and uh, we just started hanging out with him. So you start hanging out, you start doing things together. And so we were very involved in, in the youth group. And so we said, hey, Tony, come to church with us. Tony's like, no, I don't want to, do, I don't do church. I was like, no, 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 don't, not Sunday morning. You don't have to come to Sunday morning. Just come to the youth group. Trust me, it's fun. You'll like it. So Tony said, yeah, he started coming to the youth group. And everybody in the youth group loved Tony. Well, a lot of singing in the youth group. Tony loved singing. He picked up on the songs like that. He started singing the songs. In fact, he was such a good singer that eventually he started leading the songs. And as we went along and he developed relationships in the youth group and kept practicing all these things, it wasn't but about six months to eight months, maybe a little bit longer, that Tony came up to us. We didn't have an evangelistic plan in our mind. We were just boy, dumb teenagers. We were just like, hey, come to church with us. It'd be awesome. We had no plan. And then eventually he came to us and he says, hey, I think I want to be baptized. We were like, whoa. We didn't know this was going on. And it had nothing to do with me or my friends because he actually asked one of the girls in the youth group to baptize him. It was another, it was another student that wasn't even a friend until he, he had joined the youth group. Tony became a Christian because we invited him into community. He practiced things with us by being a part of our community. And eventually, all those things that we said about Jesus began to make sense to him. My wife, Kim, she, I have permission to tell this story. She didn't become a Christian. She was 21 years old. Didn't grow up in church at all. I asked her, I said, why? How come you went to church? How come you decided to become a Christian? He says, she said, well, I had a coworker. My coworker invited me to church. I said, why'd you go? It's like, well, he's a good friend. And I thought, there's nothing better else going on in my life. <laughs> so I went. And then he introduced me to all these people. And they were great people. And so I started, found myself hanging out more with these people than with my old friends. And I was like, well, what was about them that you liked hanging out with? And he goes, well, it was interesting because all I really knew with hanging out with my friends was to have a good time. You partied. 
That's what she's, she's like, I, that's what she knew. She, that's what she grew up with. She's like, I didn't know any better. And then all of a sudden I started hanging out with different people. And these people, they hung out and they had lots of fun. And they didn't party, party at all. And I started looking at my life and I thought, well, the way I am now is a lot better than the way I was. And about six months into this, she begins asking questions about who Jesus is. And six months after, that guy invited her to church. She was baptized to the name of Jesus Christ. And then became a missionary. <laughs> Hospitality is the offer of space where change can take place. And if we welcome people, invite people into community with us, not necessarily with a goal in mind, but just to be welcoming, just because we love them. Because there's no guarantee that the story that I told about Tony and Kim, that it will end the same. I've invited lots of people in community. So have you. And they haven't become Christians. But that's not the point. The point is this. To love strangers. To invite them in. To invite them into a meal in your house. To invite them to your small group. To invite them to church. And that we have eyes and ears that love strangers. That create space for change to take place. And that we're intentional about that. And then let God do His work work. Evangelism begins with hospitality. Let's stand and worship.